0: In today's episode, Jeremy DeHutt joins me as we discuss propitiation. In our churches, we love to use big words.
1: We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness.
0: See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message, reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Today I have Jeremy DeHutt with me. We're going to discuss the word propitiation. We first met in the Birmingham area, but he has since moved to Kentucky. He's married with several children from college age all the way down to four years old. Uh, He serves as an evangelist and works with camps during the summer. And he also works with Appian Media Production to create Bible study materials and videos. And let me tell you, if you have not checked them out, you need to do that. Go to appianmedia.org, check out their materials. They even have several movies available for free on their website Again, that's appianmedia.org, a p p i a n m e d i a dot org. But before you go do that, let's tune in to today's discussion on propitiation. We are discussing the word propitiation, and yeah. you know that is such a, a odd word. It's not a word we use in really any other context that I can think of. But we we do use it in terms of scripture because it, you know, depending on your translation is sitting right there on the page. So you got to know what that word means. So uh, give us a, a working man's definition of the word propitiation.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate you doing this series on, on words that we may not be familiar with. I think it was about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago where several of us Christian friends were talking about, uh, theological words, you know, words that had to had a religious context or a biblical context that we don't use in everyday speech. And so we come across them in our Bibles and we're like, huh, what's that? That has something to do with salvation, but what is that? And propitiation was one of them. Yeah. And so uh, the group of us had to dig in and we're like, let's try to unpack this word and try to use it. So the working man's definition, I think, is propitiation is a gift that turns away wrath. Um, It's a gift that satisfies or appeases someone's anger. And probably the most famous New Testament passage that people will actually still see it, you know, even the the modern version, the ESV, keeps the word propitiation in Romans chapter 3. You're there in Romans 3 and it's talking about the righteousness that comes by faith, starting verse 21. And so it's talking about our salvation and the idea of having right standing with God. I've been made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And he gets more specific about that righteousness by explaining that Jesus is the gift that God gave to satisfy his wrath.
0: Okay. So that, uh, again, when I think of the word propitiation, my brain automatically goes to the places where you see it in scripture. And I I think that's probably because we really don't have any other context for the word so that, sure. that's where you we associate it so first john 2 2 he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world same book chapter 4 verse 10 and this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. so there you know, john clearly is concerned with this concept as you said the the appeasing or the doing away with God's wrath what Jesus did to make that possible. Yeah. You know, here Jesus is put forward as the propitiation because of his sacrifice. Yeah. Now, what I've never noticed before, and this might take us down a rabbit trail, I don't know, but what I've Oh, I'm excited noticed about that. Oh, I love rabbit trails. The passage you read there in Romans chapter 3, uh, I If you read it out of the Christian Standard Bible, that's the one, the version that I particularly like. Yeah. It says it oddly in a way that I've never really noticed it before. Mm. It says in verse 25, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood Mm. through faith to demonstrate Mm. his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sin previously committed. So mm-hmm. what would be the connection between the New Testament understanding of propitiation, talking about Jesus, and this mercy seat? You might need to tell us what the mercy seat is, uh, <laughs> but it comes out of the Old Testament. Give us what
1: could be the connection there. Yeah, so I think that there's this really big Old Testament concept of the sacrificial system that we need to understand to fully appreciate the idea of propitiation. And it leads us to the concept of the mercy seat. So I think fundamentally we need to understand that sin, when I commit a sin, when I violate one of God's regulations or laws or principles, I'm not just breaking a law. Like you go speeding down the road and break the law. um, I don't feel any personal... Uh, guilt that I have offended the law of Kentucky. Like it's just it's a law. But with sin, I'm actually sinning against the lawgiver, and so there's this there's this personal offense that I've committed against a holy God, and that holy God has every right to be hurt, sorrowful, upset, and angry that I have broken his good law, which he gave for my good. And so you go back and, and you look at some of the sins that are outlined in the Old Testament. You think about uh, what Ezekiel says about the violence and the shedding of blood. Like, I am hurting people, but I'm also hurting the God who made those people. God has every right to be angry that I'm mistreating um, his image bearers or the idea of adultery and unfaithfulness. You know, I've made a covenant in marriage, not just to my spouse, but to the God who bound us together. Um, And maybe even more personally with afflicting widows and orphans. So when I sin against God, I incur God's anger. God gets angry with me for violating his good law and hurting him. And so God has every right to be upset. So, for example, you know, I'm married, almost 20 years married, Anna would have every right to be upset if I forgot our anniversary date. You know, we've had the same date for 20 years, we celebrate it every year, she would have every right to be upset with me for being thoughtless or so preoccupied that I didn't think about her. She'd have every right to take that personally, right? So. You have have this sin that's been committed that has created anger with a God who is holy and just. And that sin stands between us. And what God explains is that there needs to be an atonement for that sin. Something needs to satisfy that anger to remove that barrier that's been created. And so what the sacrificial system of the Old Testament teaches us is that a sacrifice is necessary to atone for or cover over or remove that sin that stands between me and my God. Something that satisfies his anger so he can extend mercy toward me. And that brings us to the idea of the mercy seat. You know, the Old Testament concept where there's this place, there's this place where God is interacting with man And that mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies. It was in the temple where God's presence dwelt. And you could only approach the mercy seat of God if your sin had been atoned for through sacrifices.
0: Hey, this is Adam. I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will likely enjoy my books that have come out by Eden Hollow. Head over to edenhollowbooks.com and check out some of the books you can pick up today. Now, let's get back to the topic.
1: I wrestled with this concept until someone pointed out a great Old Testament example of this. But maybe this will be helpful to somebody who's trying to think through what does this look like. So you go back to Genesis and you start thinking about the brothers Jacob and Esau. Right? These brothers that had been fighting with each other since conception. They had been at odds with each other. Jacob ends up cheating his brother out of his birthright and blessing. Esau is angry with him, especially about the blessing, and justifiably so. He's been cheated. Um, Jacob goes and pretends to be Esau and swindles him out of this blessing. And Esau is so angry with his brother That he starts planning, as soon as my dad is out of the way and won't be upset with me, I'm going to kill my brother. Like, that's how angry he was. And so Jacob flees, leaves leaves the country to escape his brother's just anger. And while he's away, during his time away, he comes to a better place of faith with God. God blesses him with a large family. God blesses him with a couple of wives, a bunch of kids, and eventually it's time for Jacob to come home. But he knows he's coming home to a brother who is still, in his imagination, he doesn't know because he hasn't been talking with them. His brother is still justifiably angry. So when you get to chapter 32, you have the meeting of these two brothers for the first time in years, So he comes up with this idea. I'm going to split my my family, my entourage, the moving vans. We're going to split them all up. But at the front of the whole parade, he sends a series of gifts. And so in verse 5 of Genesis 32, what Jacob says is, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor. He's sending gifts. So that Esau's anger will dissipate and he'll give him favor. You get to toward the end of the chapter. He explains again. I'm telling the guys in charge of all these donkeys, all, all these presents. Verse 18, tell them they are a present. And then verse 20, tell him moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For Jacob thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. All of those gifts that he sent were gifts meant to satisfy and appease his wrath, to cover over his sin so that he could be reconciled to his brother. And so you have this beautiful Old Testament example that helps explain what propitiation is between us and God where we have justifiably made him angry because of our sin. We've hurt him, we've offended him, and he's justifiably angry. But a gift, some kind of sacrifice needs to be made to appease that anger so that he can extend favor and we can be reconciled. Now, the pile of our sin isn't going to be covered over and God's anger isn't going to be satisfied with tokens. Um... Sin isn't that way. Uh, A greater sacrifice needs to be offered. So when you roll it forward to the New Testament, what's really amazing is that back in that text in Romans chapter 3, God is the one who gave the gift of Jesus to satisfy his anger so that he could show us mercy. So you think about the the wedding or the marriage example. I forget our anniversary. Let's say I forget it five years in a row. Anna's anger increases every year. She's always frustrated around our anniversary. Jeremy never remembers. The pile gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What if in her goodwill, not out of spite, but out of her goodwill, she secures a gift that satisfies her anger and I don't have to sleep on the couch anymore. You know, that's the idea of propitiation, turning away anger so that mercy and reconciliation can take place. But our sin was so large, what it required was the death of Jesus. And so it points to the goodness of God, that God was so good and rich and abundant in love that he gave himself the gift that would satisfy his anger, not just for one individual, but for everybody that could ever make him angry. Uh, Once you start thinking through and you can understand the concept of propitiation, you start to realize it is a dominant theme through the Bible because it is the way God is going to make us right with him. Once I get that, then you start to think about how does this concept apply in my life with people when they sin against me personally and I am justifiably angry you know am i always going to take it out on people or am i going to find a way to be gracious and extend mercy when people do whatever they can do to try to be right with me will i accept whatever they can offer and let my anger be appeased you know am i going to be like god i'm just really really convicted by that the more i appreciate the concept of god's propitiation
0: well and that's where the 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 whole concept of the covenant we have because of Jesus really comes together yeah. where Jesus, because he is our propitiation and my favorite passage, although it doesn't use the word propitiation, as you said, the concept is all through scripture yeah. is Romans chapter five, six and following Yes, uh, the idea of while we were helpless, while we were still enemies, God sent his son to die for us. And I love the way it words it there, verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. So that concept of being reconciled with God or put back in a good relationship with God because Jesus was willing to appease his wrath on our behalf, that is what makes it possible for us to uh, even know God, follow God, be in a relationship with God, uh,
1: have a, a a communion with God that we wouldn't have otherwise. Well, and think about New Testament examples of that. I think Barnabas is a fantastic example of that. You know, Barnabas goes to bat for Paul in trying to help him reconcile with these Christians that he had formerly been persecuting. Or even imitating Jesus. I've been working on 1 John 3.16 the last week or so. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. There's the idea of propitiation. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The idea, I'm going to start to imitate the one that was willing to do that for me. I just think that the the better we understand these concepts, the the richer our appreciation of our salvation, and the, the more convicted we'll be about how to duplicate that as we copy it. So it's really important to not be super intimidated when we come across words like propitiation, sanctification, justification. The, the more we own those concepts, the more like Christ will be. And the more we apply those concepts, and that, that's where I
0: love how you're taking that propitiation is not just a concept in Scripture. It is a life-lived concept for a Christian. It is something that really affects us on a daily level. Uh, absolutely both places where propitiation is mentioned in first john you've got this personal application side of it that is mentioned you know, right there at the beginning of chapter two my brethren i'm writing these things so that you may not sin and he is the propitiation for us like it it, it, yes uh, these two things go hand in hand if he's going to atone for you if he's going to make you right and appease God's wrath on your behalf then that should change who you are every single day amen and chapter 4 same thing verse 10 says love consists in this uh, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins dear friends if God loved us in this way we m- also must love one another very similar to first John 3 16 and yes uh, who we who we become because God's wrath is appeased.
1: That's what makes the difference. Yeah. Salvation. I can't remember who said this. It just stuck in my head. You know, we have been saved for more than being saved. I mean, the idea is uh, I have been redeemed by God for more than just being put up on a shelf as part of his collection. Like he saved me in order that I might become more like Christ Uh, the way he says it in Ephesians, that I might be his workmanship in order that I would be like Christ here and that I would learn to live and love the way that Jesus did. And so if I'm not transformed to become more like Christ, then maybe I don't fully get what it is that he did for me. And I need to start there. Let me ask one final question that I always try to ask, which is there.
0: Our job is to get these big words simplified enough that anybody can understand them no matter what their background is, no matter how, how much Bible knowledge they have. Is there anything we haven't covered today that we need to cover to make sure that job gets done?
1: To understand and appreciate propitiation, you have to talk about and come to terms with something that's not popular. And, and it's the idea that God is holy, and God is just, and sin is horrible, and offends him, and he is justifiably angry. One of the words that the Bible uses is wrath. You know, he is right to be wrathful. We've incurred the wrath of God. And that's not fun to think about. Um, it's not fun to think about falling under the righteous hand of God. But unless you understand the magnitude of, of that, that position, you can't fully appreciate the mercy and grace that has been received and given. And so you have to appreciate the wrath and the anger and accept that that's real in order to fully appreciate grace and mercy and love. So it points back to the character and the love and the mercy of God that he set up a way for his anger to be appeased. So it just it goes back to the magnitude and the majesty of, of God and the faithfulness and love of Jesus that he went through that. And the better we appreciate that, uh, the better that we'll be. I tell you, we truly have an amazing God who was willing to
0: love us while we were still enemies. He loved us even while he was still angry with us. And he loved us enough to allow Jesus to step in and appease his righteous anger. Thank you for listening to Preach Impediments and thank you to Jeremy DeHutt for that uh, great telling of the definition of propitiation. You are invited back on Thursday to hear my follow-up comments on this word. And I hope we will see you then. If you enjoyed this conversation, I hope you will share it with your friends and your family. This podcast only helps those who listen to it. So the more people who can listen, the more people we can help. I'd also love to receive a review on whatever platform you listen on, whether that be Apple or Spotify or any of the others. Reviews help others learn about this show, and it helps them make the decision to click play. So it's an easy thing you can do to help others hear the message of God. Thanks again for listening to Preach Impediments. Until next time.